Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pride Perspectives. My name is Chris Gadd, and by the time this episode is actually live, I will be the former graduate assistant for communications in the Division of Student Affairs, having graduated in December 2020. Today, we're going to be talking about the lesser thought of physical history of Hofstra, the things that have made it into the unique design that it is today. Joining me is the Assistant Director of Education at the Cradle of Aviation, uh, Mr. Thomas Barry, but if you've seen him on social media, you know him better as Educator Tom. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, our, our job here at the Cradle of Aviation, not just my job, but everybody's job, uh, is to preserve uh, the history of aviation and uh, and aerospace on Long Island. So by you having me on right now, you're giving me a chance to actually do my job. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to do that. Uh, specifically, my job in the education department is to uh, assist the education director and to assist her in Ha, um, cultivating relationships between different institutions and the museum, uh, developing and implementing programs for school children, for adults, uh, for groups outside of the museum, making those connections, going out to libraries, teaching programs there, all coming back to our mission to preserve Long Island's past. Uh, and, and Long Island's past also involves Hofstra University, which is just, just down the road from us. Uh, and actually, Oddly enough, I have a connection to Hofstra that's kind of fun. Uh, I did my first theater production at Hofstra, my first actual show at Hofstra with the alumni theater group that was there called The Greywig. And so back in 1989, I was young Patrick Dennis at the John Cranford Adams Playhouse. And it was just a wonderful introduction to theater and it was a blast to do. And it was a beautiful venue. Uh, to perform at. So I have very fond memories of Hofstra. I remember driving, well, getting driven down Hempstead Turnpike, going into the setting sun uh, as, as we were going to rehearsals after school and after my parents were off work. So I have very fond memories of Hofstra from my childhood. Um, so yeah, that's that's about it with, with what I do. I, I just try to teach and any chance I get to do it, I'll, I'll take that opportunity. Oh, I was going to say, that's great. I had never even heard of that alumni drama group and I am a drama major myself I graduated in 2018 with a degree in drama so I never heard about that okay. um talking about the cradle of aviation I think it's a term that gets thrown around a lot um and before we really get into stuff I was just wondering if you could tell us a little <laughs> bit about what exactly it means to be in the cradle of aviation why why is this museum called that what what, what do we have um, to attribute to that name? That is a great question. And it is an odd name for an area or for a museum. You could say that, that aviation was born in North Carolina, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. You could, you could say that. Uh, some people will say it was actually born in Ohio where the Wright brothers are from. Other people will say, no, it was born in France. What are you talking about the Wright brothers? They were flying before them in France. Long Island is not the birthplace of aviation. All right, it was definitely born somewhere else. Just like I was, I was born at Mercy Hospital. That doesn't make it my home. That's not where I grew up, not where I matured. So Long Island 
while it wasn't the place where aviation was born, it was the place where aviation matured. You see, Long Island is home to Hempstead Plains, which, and you wouldn't know it's Plains now because it's all built up, but it is the largest natural prairie east of the Allegheny Mountains. So you had huge flatlands with not a whole lot of houses on them, extending from the Queens border, going all the way through. I just got a, I just got a notification from something. I don't know what that was. I'm gonna close out of whatever that was. I'm just closing everything. Okay, I'm gonna give that another try then. All right. That is a great question. It is kind of an odd name for, for a museum or for an area, really. Uh, and it goes to the idea that aviation was not born on Long Island. You could make the argument, and it's a good one, that it was born in North Carolina with the Wright brothers making their flight uh, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Some people will say it's in Ohio where the Wright brothers uh, had their bike shop where they developed all this stuff. Other people will say, no, it's France. They were flying in France even before the Wright brothers. Long Island doesn't claim to be the birthplace of aviation. It's not. My birthplace was a hospital, Mercy Hospital, but that's not where I grew up. It's not where I matured. So aviation was born in other places, but it matured here on Long Island. So I was in the cradle when I was brought home. That's where I spent a good amount of time in my earliest years. And aviation spent a good amount of its earliest formative years here on Long Island. Long Island is home to the Hempstead Plains, which is a large flat area, the largest prairie east of the Allegheny Mountains. And back in, back in the early 1900s, there wasn't a whole lot of buildup on Long Island. It was very, very clear. So you have flat land, not a lot of trees, clay in the ground. It was a perfect place for airplanes to take off and land, early airplanes. We didn't have runways back then. Plus, you were close to a major metropolitan area, New York City. So it really made Long Island the perfect place for airplanes to, uh, to be developed, to mature. Glenn Curtis, who was one of the earliest pioneers of flight, he was from Hammondsport, New York, and he made a bunch of his first flights up in Hammondsport, which is in the Finger Lakes region of New York. And he realized quickly that Hammondsport wasn't the best place to be mountain, lake, swampy areas. It wasn't the best place to be. It's a beautiful town, don't get me wrong. If you want a, a weekend vacation, you can do a lot worse than having a sport in New York. It's beautiful. But he needed space. So he came down to Long Island uh, and he set up shop on Long Island. In fact, what is now known as Roosevelt Field, where the mall is, that was actually a flying field uh, and it became known, known as uh, Curtis Field, named after Glenn Curtis. And next to that, uh, that area there, uh, where Target is now, there's a movie theater there, there's a couple of uh, restaurants there as well. That area was actually the original Roosevelt Field. So what it was, what is where that Target and, and all that stuff is now, that was the Roosevelt Field uh, in 1918. Next to that, where the mall is now, that was the original Roosevelt, uh, 
That was Curtis Field. It gets very confusing uh, in the uh, early 1900s. And then they combined to be uh, one big, huge Roosevelt Field up there. Uh, and then below that, where we are, Cradle of Aviation, that was another uh, area that became known as Mitchell Field, uh, named after one of the first people actually uh, in the military to die in an, in an airplane crash. And that became the military base, became the county land, became the museum and part of Hofstra. And wow, that was a lot. <laughs> uh, it was all great stuff. Trust me, I... It, w one of my like weaknesses, I guess you could call it, is just finding about like the history of the actual land that you're on. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because when you were talking about that, I literally mm -hmm. just pulled up Google Maps and you can see it. I literally have Hofstra there and within a stone's throw is the Cradle of Aviation and then just slightly off is uh, Roosevelt Field mm -hmm. Mall. And it's just incredible how, uh, I guess, small isn't the right word but just how close and interconnected everything is um and kind of going off of that um Hofstra has this unique layout um being separated by the turnpike um but also that really long stretch from the student center to uh like uh Nassau Suffolk or Colonial Square right back there um and I was just wondering I'm pretty sure it used to be a runway I think uh if you could talk a bit more about that, how that factors in with Mitchell Field. Um, yeah. I would be happy to. And before I do that, I want to make a correction in my previous thing. I said Mitchell was uh, the person who died in an early uh, crash. I lied to you. I don't know what makes me lie sometimes. Uh, it was actually the original name of all of this, all these fields were Hazlehurst Field. So up where Roosevelt Field is and where the target is and all that stuff is now, that was Hazlehurst Field now. Uh, one, where we are down here, that was Hazlehurst Field too. And then it got split into Roosevelt Field, Curtis Field, Mitchell Field down here. All right. Uh, so speaking about that layout. So you had mentioned that, that, uh, it was small, that, that this area is small looking on Google Maps where Roosevelt Field is and, and where Mitchell Field is. And that was one of the problems with this area. As New York developed and suburbia came about, more and more houses, businesses began getting closer and closer to this airfield, which was small to begin with. And so in, in military flight, especially during war, wartime, World War II, you have the danger of airplanes crashing because you have planes going out all the time doing patrols. And there was a runway at Mitchell Field. The two main ones crisscross. Uh, the two main runways at Mitchell Field, they crisscross where today, uh, pretty close to where that football stadium is, right in the middle of the Mitchell Field Athletic com uh, Complex. But off to the west, on the west side of Mitchell Field, there was a third runway. And that runway uh, ran from north to south. You could take off going north-south or south to north, you know, depending upon the wind. But that runway began right where Quentin Roosevelt Boulevard and Charles Lindbergh Boulevard split. There's a UPS facility right there. And that runway ran south and it ended, I believe, just south of where Alliance Hall is right now on the Hofstra campus. So 
1943, uh, there was a pilot that was training that took off from that from that runway on a training mission and had problems with his airplane. It was a, a P-47 Thunderbolt uh, built by Republic. Um, and that plane sadly crashed and it actually crashed on the Hofstra campus uh, into Barnard Hall. Uh, it crashed, if you're looking at Barnard Hall from the west side, so I think that's the front of the hall. Uh, if you look towards the right and up near the top, that's where that airplane crashed into Barnard Hall and sadly the pilot did perish uh, in that crash. Uh, no students were, were, were hurt in that crash, thankfully. Uh, but that actually caused that runway to be shut down, that runway that was on the west side of Mitchell Field. They didn't do that, use that runway anymore because of that crash in 1943. Uh, but they still did use the other two runways. Now, when, when Mitchell Field was closed down in 1961, they uh, eventually ceded that land to Nassau County. Nassau, in turn, granted a good bit of that land to, uh, to Nassau Community College and to Hofstra. And the piece that Hofstra took over actually is where that runway ended. It's also where one of the crisscrossing runways ended. So one runway ran from uh, northeast to southwest. The other runway ran from uh, northwest to southeast. And the part that Hofstra took over was that southwest corner. So Hofstra was originally all on the one side of Hempstead Turnpike, the south side of Hempstead Turnpike. Then they got that land uh, and, and they went over to the north side. And there's still a piece of that runway that's left, that runway that went from the northeast to the southwest. Uh, there's a parking lot, a really long parking lot that's next to some of the athletic fields there, uh, run alongside the soccer stadium there. That's actually the footprint of the end of that runway that was from Mitchell Field. So if you wanna see a piece of that runway, you just go to that parking lot and you walk up and down it and you're treading on the same space where pilots used to take off and land from 1918 to 1961 when it was uh, Mitchell Field, the Air Force Base, uh, Army Air Corps Base early on, but Air Force Base later on. Uh, and funnily enough, the Northeastern part of that same runway is still there uh, it kind of goes up and there's kind of a curve of, of uh, runway running out of it. That is where they filmed the scene from The Godfather, the scene with Sonny when he drives up to the toll booth and some bad things happen to him. That was actually filmed there on Mitchell Field. So the same runway that runs down into the Hofstra campus. Again, just in incredible. Um, just thinking about the history and for those who may not be familiar with um exactly where you're talking about we're talking if you go in the main entrance of hofstra um and you basically take a right as if you were going to the arena that entire stretch used to be a runway um and of course leading out to mitchell field and it's it's just crazy to me and i love it just seeing how it's developed um, and also really cool with the, uh, well, not really cool, but uh, very interesting about the, the pilot who crashed into Barnard Hall. Um, if you've ever, <laughs> we have a, um, um, like a Halloween walking tour. We couldn't do it this year, obviously. Um, but that 
that gentleman actually factors into the tour a little bit. We, you know, we, we play upon it. Um, so kind of going off that you kind of mentioned already with, um, you know, obviously the crash and Nassau giving parts of the runway to Hofstra, but what specifically is Hofstra's relationship with the cradle of aviation, um, both currently and more in recent history? The cradle of aviation, Hofstra, we go, we go way back. We're, we're buds. Uh, actually, uh, a former provost at Hofstra actually sat on cradle of aviation's board a while back. So yeah, so you know, we're, we're palsies, we're friends. Uh, fairly recently, uh, you may not be familiar with this, but, but we took some, some graduate students from Hofstra on, on a tour of the facility. Yeah, yeah, it was a great time. They were, they were just fantastic. Uh, they were a great group. The, the future is in good hands, I can tell you that, because of those, those graduate students from Hofstra, they're gonna change the world. Um, but also, more recently, uh, we've worked with Hofstra's astronomy department. Uh, we're actually uh, with, with Hofstra on a grant that they're submitting, a federal grant uh, for astronomy. So we've worked with the astronomy department in the past and in the present. Uh, I myself have recently worked with the uh, museum at Hofstra, the Museum of Art that's at Hofstra. Uh, and, and we're trying to uh, work on accessibility programs uh, so for children and adults uh, with intellectual or developmental, developmental disabilities uh, to create programming for and with them. So uh, we haven't, obviously with COVID, <laughs> everything is on hold, but we had made some really great headway. We were on the same page with a whole lot of stuff. And I really look forward to continuing and, and hopefully growing our relationship with Hofstra, with the faculty uh, and, and with, uh, with the students as well. Uh, working with y'all. Fantastic. And we're just going to explain for the viewers, literally the reason why I'm talking to Tom right now. Uh, he did take us on a tour of the museum and it just happened to coincide because it was for a PR capstone course, helping the museum um, get some social media out there. And I happened to be working on this podcast and this, the two combined perfectly. Um, and I was like, we need to get Tom on this podcast because visiting the museum and and uh, feeling, I guess, like the energy, not just your energy as the tour guide, but also just the energy of the museum and and seeing all this really cool stuff. Like I listen, I geeked out when I saw the elbow pad from the Apollo 13 mission. I think it is that you guys have. <laughs> you're like oh yeah that's the elbow pad i'm like oh my god um because i'm just a big space geek um i'm gonna throw you a little curveball actually that i <clears throat> wasn't planning originally on asking um kind of getting to the museum in general um it's gonna be an easy one if there is one exhibit at the museum or one specific thing like i just talked about the elbow pad from the apollo 13 mission uh what would it be and why so that is a curveball, an easy curveball, as you say, but it's kind of like one of those sneaky curveballs where it looks easy and then you swing and miss because I have my favorite exhibit here at Cradle of Aviation, but mine might be very different than somebody else's based upon their interests. I'm, I'm a space nerd, and so I know what, what mine is, but there are so many other things that might pique somebody else's curiosity. So I'll throw a few out and then, and then tell you mine. Uh, our galleries 
are, are set up chronologically. And it's the history of air and space flight on Long Island. And the history of air and space flight on Long Island is essentially the history of air and space flight. A lot of people are surprised with how integral Long Island was and is in the advancement of flight. So in one of our galleries, it's set up to look like the Hempstead Plains during the early 1900s. Uh, we have a Blario Type 11 airplane. It is uh, thought to be the fourth oldest plane in the United States, and it's one of the 10 oldest planes in the world. So we have one of the oldest planes on the planet sitting here in our museum. So that's pretty amazing. That's kind of cool. Uh, go through that gallery and you, you come to a, a, just a piece of mail, just a piece of mail that's in a, in a glass case. And you might be sitting there saying, why, why I got a piece of mail? That's no big deal. It's one of the first pieces of airmail ever delivered. The first airmail delivery happened on Long Island. It went from Garden City to Mineola. Uh, and the pilot threw the mailbag overboard and it burst on the ground and the postmaster had to go, you know, running around for it. But that happened on Long Island. So little things like, like that piece of mail, big things like that airplane, those might be some folks' favorite things. Yours, as you said, was that armrest from, from the Apollo 13 mission, the lunar module, the, the actual lunar module that saved the lives, acted as a life raft for three uh, of the astronauts, uh, Jim Lovell, uh, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert. Uh, an actual piece of it. And there aren't a lot of pieces of it because it burned up in the atmosphere after they, after they uh, detached from it. So yeah, that's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, if you go into, into our next gallery, we have Charles Lindbergh's first airplane, his Curtis JN4 airplane. And that was verified by Charles Lindbergh himself. Uh, if you go over into, into World War II, into the gallery that, that talks about World War II, we have one of very few wildcats that have fixed wings that actually crashed during a training accident uh, uh, for World War II. The pilot was okay, uh, but we fished that airplane out of Lake Michigan in 1989. So it's not just the artifact, but the stories behind these artifacts are incredible. Uh, but my favorite one, my favorite uh, artifact uh, or exhibit, it has to do with the lunar module. So we have one of only three lunar modules in the world. We have one here on Long Island. There's one in Washington, DC, one down in Florida. Uh, and the reason why there are three lunar modules on the in the world is because the Apollo program canceled uh, the last three missions that were supposed to go to the moon. When lunar modules went up, in, up into space, they didn't come back. Uh, since those last three missions got canceled, we had three lunar modules still here on the planet. Uh, and we got one because all of the lunar modules were built on Long Island uh, by employees of Grumman Aerospace. Uh, that's what it was known, of, known as at the time. But my favorite exhibit, it's not that lunar module, which is, don't get me wrong, it's like there. It's, this is lunar module, this is my favorite. It's actually, the simulator for the lunar module. We have the only simulator, the lunar module simulator in the world. 
all of the astronauts would come up to Long Island. All of the astronauts that would eventually walk on the moon came up to Long Island and trained in that lunar module. And we have the control board where the, the folks who would come up with all these horrible, horrible situations for the astronauts to get out of, they would create those simulations for the astronauts in that trainer. And in fact, uh, as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were descending to the moon, there was an alarm that went off. And that alarm, it was not a common alarm to go off. And they were worried about it, but they remembered in their training that that, that alarm came up at some point. And so they knew that they could override that alarm. It was the computer getting too many commands at once or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it is. So uh, if you have you know, hate mail to send for me getting a fact wrong, please, uh, you know, please desist. Uh, but they recognized that alarm from that training and that training occurred in that simulator that is right here in our museum. And that's pretty cool. It, it is. Again, just like you, I am a space geek. I, it's, it's just the next frontier. It's just so cool just to think about it. And it is literally a stone's throw from Hofstra. Um, and there, we, we've kind of done a very basic um, kind of gloss over everything, but there is so much more, um, way more than we could ever fit into just one episode of this podcast. Um, if someone wanted to learn more, uh, how could they do that both um, in person and virtually, obviously, because we are still in COVID times? Absolutely. Uh, if you want to come down in person, uh, as of now, we are open from Thursday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, we do require masks, social distancing. Uh, I prefer to call it physical distancing because you know we're still making connections here. Uh, we have hand sanitizing stations all over the place. Uh, our hangar space, which is our largest exhibit, is the museum itself because it's actual hangars from Mitchell Field. So we have about 150,000 square feet of hangar space going on here. So you can uh, be assured that you won't be on top of anybody else. It'll be pretty easy to maintain distancing here. Uh, just recently, we installed new filters so we can even do our uh, movies in our 76 foot wide dome theater, which is the third largest full dome planetarium in the nation. Uh, something else on Long Island that's pretty cool. Hey, full dome, what? Uh, but you can do that. So Thursday through Sunday, come on down, uh, please do. But if you want to see us virtually, you can either tune in to our virtual programs. We stream on Facebook Live. Uh, Facebook, we, you just look up Cradle of Aviation, will be the first thing to pop up. Uh, you can check out our Twitter. You can check out our TikTok. Uh, actually, TikTok, we've gotten some some unexpected traction with. <laughs> uh, we, we've got over 50,000 followers on TikTok now. And on there, you can see little snippets about the different exhibits. Uh, some of them I do under the hashtag of Educator Tom, but my favorite ones are actually done by uh, some of our docents who worked at Grumman uh, or worked for other aerospace companies on Long Island. 
and our curator, Joshua Stoff. Uh, he does really cool uh, and, and short videos. So you can go there. Uh, and get some some content, or you can go to our website, cradleofaviation.org, and there is a virtual museum tour. So you can click right through all of our galleries at your own pace, and there's information on all of the major exhibits. Uh, you probably won't be able to get into the minutia of some of those smaller artifacts that, that we were talking about that I love so much, but it's a good overview of the museum and the history of aerospace on Long Island. And, uh... Oh, sorry, just getting a text message right now. Oh, good. My order at Target is ready for pickup. <laughs> Where you go, when it. you go to Target, all right, when you pull in to Target, uh, between Target and Walmart, there's a road. Uh, there's a road that goes between them, it goes down behind Chili's. Uh, past where Fortune Off used to be, Circuit City. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Traverse Road, is it? Something like that. Transfer, something. Something like that. That road when you drive down it between Target and Walmart, that road pretty much follows the path Charles Lindbergh took as he took off from the spirit of St. Louis. Isn't there, I think, isn't there like a small little plaque or like there's a, I mean, obviously the street right near it is named Lindbergh, Lindbergh. Wow, I can say that right. Um, but I think there's like a sign or something yep. right at an intersection that says, you know, this is, where Charles Lindbergh took his flight. Yep, right behind Chili's, there's uh, a granite rock, uh, a piece of granite with a relief carved into it uh, that explains this is where Charles Lindbergh's plane last touched uh, the ground on Long Island. Because when he was taken off, he was overloaded with fuel. So he was kind of bouncing a couple of times and getting towards the end of Roosevelt Field where, you know, it would be kind of crashy. So, uh, but eventually he did take off and there is video of that. There is video footage of him taking off in the spirit of St. Louis. And the spot that is thought to be the last bounce is marked with that with that granite rock there. It's right behind Chili's. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you have that video playing on loop in the museum, don't you? Right near his plane? We certainly do. So if you want to come on by, please feel free and you can see the video if you don't want if you don't want to look it up because because it would definitely be nice for us to see you here. Uh, funny, you mentioned uh, his plane, Spirit of St. Louis. The Spirit of St. Louis that we have, uh, it's the same type of plane built at the same time. Uh, the original Spirit of St. Louis is actually in the Smithsonian down in Washington, D.C. But the one that we have was actually in the movie the Spirit of St. Louis starring Jimmy Stewart. So uh, if you come on down, not only can you see uh, the type of plane that Charles Lindbergh flew, but you can see the actual plane that was in the Spirit of St. Louis. Uh, again, it's just, uh, anyone who's been in Hoffs for any amount of time just like kind of just knows all these locations, you know, you know how to get to Target and you know how to get to all that stuff. And the Cradle of Aviation is right in the middle, literally. Um, and I know like I sound like I'm promoting the Cradle of Aviation and that's because I am because it's just such an amazing museum. Um, is there anything else? I know we talked about a whole lot. Um, of course, can't fit it all into one podcast, but is there anything else that you want to include in this podcast? I would. I would actually. Uh, there is we talk quite a bit about aviation, the history of aviation, uh, but 
But a lot of times when people talk about aviation, they talk about machines, some people. But uh, I would like to mention uh, just a couple, a couple of things about how aviation kind of gave opportunity to folks in the sky uh, who maybe didn't have as much opportunity on the ground. Uh, and a couple of names come to mind. Uh, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically of, of women and people of color. Uh, so Harriet Quimby was an early flyer uh, and she was the first uh, woman to cross the English Channel uh, in an airplane. And we feature a flight suit based on her design. Uh, it was a flight suit that went from pants when she was in the cockpit, then she would undo a series of buttons and it became a dress when she was on the ground. And that was something that she had to consider um, that, that her male counterparts didn't have to worry about. Um, then there, there's Bess Coleman. She was the first, uh, uh, the first black American, the first uh, American of Native American descent uh, to earn her pilot's license, but she couldn't do it here in the United States because she wasn't allowed to. So she had to go to France to get her pilot's license. Uh, but then she came back to the States and she was a barnstormer, an aerial acrobat. And she flew her first show right here on Long Island. They called her Queen Bess. And then Eleanor Smith, uh, she was from Freeport. Uh, at age 17, she flew under all four bridges connecting Manhattan to Long Island. So the Williamsburg Bridge, the uh, 59th Street Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, she flew under all four of them at age 17. Uh, and then we also featured the women who, who left home, uh, many of them for the first time to take jobs during World War II uh, in factories because so many men went off to fight war. So there's also, uh, there's also exhibits and, and, uh, and artifacts commemorating those people who trailblazed a path in the sky that maybe for a much longer period of time was blocked on the earth. Again, just incredible. And I'll, I'll say, so a little story about me back in 2014 was my first year at Hofstra. And my parents, when they dropped me off for orientation, they happened to go out on the island and then they came back and they went to the Cradle of Aviation Museum. And since that day, they had been like, Chris, go to the Cradle of Aviation. You're going to love it. Chris, go to the Cradle of Aviation. And I never did until this past, well, not this past March, but last March, March 2019, um, for the Chocolate Expo, actually, um, which, of course, sadly did not happen this year because of COVID. Um, but you guys have that. And they had the 501st there, which is the um, Stormtroopers uh, cosplaying. And I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, of course. Um, and I just, I, the, having the museum so close to Hofstra is just incredible. And I cannot... Um, advocate enough now for people to to visit the museum to see all these little bits to to realize that you know like we said the literally the ground that you drive to the arena on is a part of history not just like a small part of history we're talking like the major flights that happened that like you said helped aviation grow um 
and I, I, I just can't stress enough that uh, people should visit and of course follow on social media because uh, first of all, you're just a phenomenal person on social media um, and this whole entire podcast, we're going to have a, a heck of a time editing it because it's just, there's so much information. Um, so I'm, I, w- without going over too much time, um, thank you again, Tom. Um, I, again, the museum is just amazing. Um, if you get a chance, absolutely uh, visit visit the museum, visit Tom, um, tell him that you were sent by Chris and he'll know who to blame. It is absolutely my pleasure. I mean, I, any, it, it was enjoyable, number one. It was, it was fun talking to you. It's fun talking about this stuff. Uh, and, uh, and so any, any chance I have to do that, I appreciate your interest in us uh, because we're living in a time where, where it's difficult to, you know, museums are kind of down low on, the, on, on people's thoughts right now. Uh, but we are, we are still here and we're, we're still here to teach you, uh, whether it's in person or virtually, uh, our job doesn't change, you know? So I want, you, want to thank you for letting me do my job. I appreciate it. You're absolutely welcome. Thank you again, Tom, for taking time to speak with us. And I cannot stress enough how amazing the museum is. And I highly encourage everyone to visit, um, whether that be in person or on social media. As always, if you have a topic that you want us to cover, email studentaffairs at hofstra.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to hear the latest episode of Pride Perspectives coming to you every other week on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Apple Music. Take it easy, everyone, and enjoy the flight. Pride Perspectives is brought to you by the Division of Student Affairs. This episode has been produced and edited by Max Kutch, graduate assistant.